I want to, uh, it's like I said, it's very, very important that we establish ourselves in the Word of God. You know, without the Word of God, we have nothing. There, there's no way to succeed without His Word. I mean, there's, it, it, His Word abides forever. Uh, unless, we can, unless we can adhere to His Word, we'll have no real success. Because if you don't look to His Word, then you're going to look to somebody else's Word. Because we have to have some kind of help in this life. Amen? There, in establishing who you are in Christ, there's a natural, logical progression. I'm going to talk to you a little bit, a little bit of psychology here today with you. Uh, out of the Word of God, of course. But there's a logical progression to identity, uh, self-worth, self-image. And everybody is groping around in the world trying to establish th those principles. Uh, usually, in a worldly setting out there, you know, just everyday life with people, we are prone to identify with a group we want to identify with a group of people. Uh, we, we have that, you know, you can see that. I, I know it's, it's, it's a lot of places here in America, but, but East L.A. I've been, down, I've been to East L.A. Uh, in the middle of the night, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, I've been to East L.A., and guess what is there in full, bright, big colors almost on every block? An auto parts store. Still open 24-7. But you see the gangs there. You see the people there. And, you know, they, they, want to, they want to cling to one another. They, they want to conform to one another and what, what they stand for. You know, clubs, fraternities, uh, church families are that way. We, we, we seek to identify uh, with one another and uh, identify with the group. I know when I used to be an ultra-Pentecostal guy, the, the thing that I, you know, I was 18, 20 years old, and I wanted, to, I wanted to fit in with that group. And so it didn't take me long to learn their speak, to learn, you know, brother and sister this. And, well, uh, I, maybe I shouldn't say this. I, I'm trying to get away from using family references. <laughs> My mother scolded me, so. Uh, but we know people mutually that uh, they're so into some of that religious speak, they'll, they'll, they'll call their, their wife Sister Teru, you know. And I mean, I just, I mean, I know we're brothers and sisters in Christ, but dear God, let's just draw the line, you know, when it comes to eating at the house, you know. Thank you, Sister Teru, for this wonderful dinner. <laughs> <laughs> So what happens is when we find a group that we want to identify with, good or bad, I'm not talking about good or bad groups, we will subconsciously transform ourselves into that uh, image of that group. You know, the Bloods gang or this gang or that gang or, 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 or the Pentecostals or the Charismatics or the, or the Baptist. You know, we'll all learn by association to fit into that group. And this transformation, when we find somebody to identify with, somebody that we can agree with, that transformation is effortless. You just put yourself into it. That, I'm glad this has never happened to me, but they say the best way to learn a foreign language is to go there and live. I know the first time I ever went to uh, Central America, case uh, of Tenango, Guatemala. The first word I learned is banyo. Do you know what banyo is? <laughs> it's bathroom. Where's the banyo? Banyo. Especially if you drink the water or eat too many of their beans. You're going to want to go to the banyo. Uh, I guess the most humiliating thing to me, we were on this missions trip, and I was at the mission house that day, and, and uh, one of the guys that worked there for the ministry, you know, kind of cleaned up or kind of ran things or whatever. He was, he was Guatemalan, and uh, he didn't speak English. 
So his dog came in and he spoke to the dog. The dog knew what he said and obeyed him. I had no clue. I didn't know what he, I didn't know what he did, but his dog did. So, you know, baptizing yourself, so to speak, in an environment will cause your, your psyche, your mind, your brain to conform to that environment, see? And so it's very, very important. That that's why that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, as the Bible says. It's not that we just want church attendance or full seats. I mean, it'd be nice. But the reason why is so that we can fellowship with one another and, and, and learn from one another and pray for one another and build one another up. See, that, that's the why of fellowship. Somebody said... Uh, Fellowship is two fellows in the same ship by choice. And relationship is two fellows in the same ship because they were born that way. <laughs> you have no choice about that, do you? You can read my article this coming up week in the newspaper about that, or was that last week? I don't remember. So what we do then, as children of God, as Christians, or, or, or even not, if you're just identified with a church group and you attend... And what you do is you will form an opinion, or let's put it this way, you will have a view of God. Your subconscious will, will, will begin to adapt to a view about God. And how that view is determines, as I said last week, I think I mentioned this aspect, it determines how you relate to him. How you relate to one another. How you relate to your parents, your children. Everyone. It's filtered through that, see. And then it's a proven fact that, that you conform to that image that you have of God. The God that you believe in, you become like. Doesn't that seem important? So what if your belief about Him is not right? What if it's skewed to the point where you're, you're of no help to you or anybody else. Well, sadly enough, there's, there's a lot of people like that, aren't there? Pe people just, they don't understand him, primarily because preachers haven't preached the right view of God. Uh, so, our image of God is demonstrated by our behavior. The image of God dictates to us how we behave. Now, if you go to an ultra-Pentecostal church, how many has ever been to one? One, two, three, four, five, six. If you go to an ultra-Pentecostal church, which I was a good old Baptist boy preacher before that, so I did get some sense put in before I got off into that. And I'm not, I'm not, this is not a disparaging word about the Pentecostals. I'm just saying I learned a lot of behavioral modification skills in that organization. I've conformed uh, effortlessly to them. I mean, I didn't realize that I humiliated myself one time uh, at the time that I did it. I realized it later in life, and I felt so ashamed of, of myself. But I went to see this old, old lady in the church, Church of God that we were attending there in Live Oak, Florida. And I went to see her, I forget now what her name was, but she was a sweet, sweet woman. And I was talking with her, and at that time, my view about hair was that it could not touch your ears. If you were a man, you could, you had to have white walls, you know. You just, it was just a sin. And so I, then we had had a guest preacher come and his hair was halfway down his ears. Now, this was the mid-70s. So that was in vogue. So, you know, it was in style. So his hair was halfway down his ears. And I went in there to that sister's house, and I told her, I said, can you believe that that preacher had the audacity to come in there with his hair on his ears? She looked at me like I was an absolute idiot. And she rightly, she should have. And she just kind of played it off. Well, you know, the Lord has grace. But it, it's interesting to me how quickly we adapt to things. I mean, six months before that, my hair was down on my shoulders. 
And I was smoking marijuana six months before that. So, I, I mean, when I got out of that, back into the fellowship with the Lord, I, you know, just went, everything that they said was the way it should be. I didn't have sense enough to check the Bible. A lot of people are that way, aren't they? We believe things just because it sounds good. Charismatics are just as bad as Pentecostals are. The Charismatics are the ones that believe in tongues and the gifts of the Spirit and all that, and, but they don't have a hang-up about the way you look. In fact, many times I've had people come in, sit on the front row down in Florida with, with uh, uh, flip-flops and shorts and T-shirts on, and they worship God. I mean, it's fine. I didn't care. But so, so the Charismatics, but they adopt some, some very dark theological positions that sounds good, but it's not good. Doesn't produce freedom, liberty. Like prophesying, for example. Listen, if you get a prophecy, a prophecy from God to give someone, it's going to exhort, it's going to edify, it's going to produce love in that person's life. It's never condemnation. It's never doom and gloom. Prophecy, the Bible says, prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. So the charismatic, I mean, they hung it out to dry with that. They'd get it prophesying everything you can imagine. Oh, this is going to happen. That's, hey, God's not that way. So, so what I'm trying to make the point, and I, I hope I'm getting this across to us, that perhaps some of the things that we believe about God needs to be adjusted. You know, it needs to be unlearned, corrected. And, of course, that's, uh, that's what growing up in the Lord is. Now, this image that we have of God becomes our guidelines for right and wrong. And you, you may think that, what did I do one time? Let's see, lots of stuff. I, uh, I mowed my yard one time on Sunday. Why it upset the whole community? This is Sunday, preacher. Don't you know it's, not, it's wrong? You know, I, nobody never told me, told me that rule. You know, the way I was raised, you did stuff when it needed to be done. You didn't care what day it was. So, so I offended the community, which I'm sure they got over it. But now one of the fallbacks, when your view of God is not correct, and that view becomes your guidelines for right and wrong, then what happens is you'll be confident in that system, right or wrong, you'll be confident in it. You will revel, as they say, in, in that belief system, you see, because it's what we believe. I mean, all you got to do is look at the Islamic people. I mean, they are they call it radicalized. I don't care whether they're radicalized or not. Their book, the Koran, is of the devil. Every single word of it. And so they become like that God that they believe in, see, a God of hate and, 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 and punishment. Now, our value that we have for ourselves, our worth, our value. Y'all get anything out of this yet? Our self-esteem, let's put it that way, is derived from who we identify with. Well, yeah, you know, you're with the gang. You're with the you're with the group. You're with the good people. You're with the good clique at school. You know, and you felt real good walking up and down the hallways with those guys. I didn't really get it. Get into this. I was too busy. I was too always too busy. You know, our each classroom in our high school had a little alcove before you went into it, and so me and my girlfriend would make out between classes. I didn't have time to run around with those boys. I was too busy kissing on that pretty girl. But, but, but nevertheless, the value that others place on us becomes our sense of worth. You know, oh, I would be okay if they just, if they just valued me. If, if he or she just, just valued me, I would be okay. No, you wouldn't. You would be... You would be dependent on him or her and they would be codependent see you've been enabling them to continue in that dysfunction it's interesting to me that the dysfunction in this nation has gotten to the point where everybody thinks it's okay well it's, it's okay you know men going into women's bathrooms is not okay that, that's stupid but but people have chosen to identify with the groups that believe that and they'll defend it, I mean, to the, to the teeth. So, perception, 
I didn't know Advil did that to you. Made you real thirsty or stuff. But it has to leave me in Jesus' name. So perception, let's put it this way. How you view your perception is the vehicle that brings transformation to you. So can you see that as a pastor, that's my job? My job, hope to God that it's accurate, is to present the proper view that you should have of your Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And so that will become your perception of reality, see? And that will be healthy for you. That will be wonderful. But if I get up here and tell you that you've got to do this, 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 and this before you're accepted, then you're going to do this, this, and this if you like us to be accepted. But what you've done is you've placed your own self in bondage to our view and opinion of you. See? So what we want here is a healthy group of people that have identified themselves with Jesus Christ and have been immersed in His love so that we can love everybody that does come into this place, whether they meet our criteria of acceptance or not. See? I mean, there's no way. I, I, I was listening. We, we watch a lot of Rick Renner. He's one of my favorite teachers. And he was teaching a lesson here this week. And I mean, this was a, this was a lesson he had done, I don't know how many years ago, 10, 15, whatever. But uh, he had this pastor call him and said, I've had a prayer group started in my living room. And he said, I don't know how to preach. I don't know how to, you know, teach or anything. He said, all I do is get your sermons. I memorize them and I preach them to the people. And he said, it started with just a handful of people. Now we have 900 and we have people coming and, and you've got to come to my church. I don't know how to preach. You've got to come and minister. <coughs> so Rick and Denise showed up at the church and uh, at the front door, he, he didn't want to introduce himself. He just said, "Hi, I'm, I'm, you know, I'd like to see your pastor." The door greeter said, "Our pastor does not have time for people like you." You believe that? So he said, "Well, uh, I still want to see him." So he went in there, and so the, the man finally let him in, opened and knocked and all this stuff, and the guy was sitting there behind his desk. Didn't he say he had? He had long gray hair and it was curled up on the ends like he had had it curled, you know, permanently curled or something. And there's the guy with rings on all of his fingers sitting there dressed to the nines behind his desk. And Rick walked up and said, said hello, I, you know, I've, I've come to speak with you. And, the, and he was going to shake his hands. And the man had, held his hand up like that for him to kiss it. This is the pastor. I hope to God you, get, you guys get a ball bat and beat me up if I get that <laughs> Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> and so he said, hello, I am Rick Renner. He looked at me and said, no, you're not. He said, yes, I am. He said, okay, well, where were you the last time I spoke with you on the phone? He said, he told me which city he was in. And so finally he said, well, he said, if we'd have, if we'd, if you, if we'd have seen a picture of you, we probably wouldn't have invited you to come. you believe that? So he had this little thing that he did. He, he, he said that oil supernaturally came from his hands. This is the pastor. And he would, you know, and that would get the frenzy started. Now, I mean, charismatic people are, and Pentecostals, man, they, they, they'll get it going. I call it a Holy Ghost hoedown. I mean, and then you let something like that happen, and it's just pandemonium. Well, Rick was standing beside him in the front row there. Uh, and, and the guy had, he, he saw him get a little bottle of oil out of his pocket and he hid it. And just in a minute, uh, the oil was on his hands. And then he raised his hands. See, the oil has started. Well, they just went nuts. And so, to make a long story short, Rick preached a message by the Holy Ghost on being honest. And, you know, and not, not uh, deceiving people and stuff. The, the whole, I don't know, it was it two or three days or something. And so at the end, his wife, the preacher's wife, came to him and said, well, we appreciate the messages. It was just really wonderful. But, you know, uh, we, you know, if we'd have seen you, we probably wouldn't have, have ever let you come. So I, that, I, that's just a, an absurd example of what I'm trying to share with you. How, you know, what kind, of, what kind of face do we want to present to people? Do we want to present to, this, to Moreland and the surrounding areas a Jesus of love or a Jesus of, of fine clothing and rings and stuff? I mean, what, what do we want to do here, see? 
What kind of church do you want? Love. Amen? A church of love, that's right. So, John 3 and 2, it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Right now. You, it, you're the son of God. And it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. So that's that perception. That perception, when you see him, when he comes in the Easter, when he comes to get you at the rapture, the thing that's going to cause your body to be changed into a glorified body will be when you see him. Now, we can take that example and use it on this side of the rapture to improve our own lives. So if we begin to see him here like he really is, it changes us. It changes our behavior. It changes our speak. It changes everything that we do, our deeds, our actions, everything. It changes because we begin to see him a little differently than, than what we used to see. That's what growing in the Lord is all about. That's why I'm here, to help us get a different view, have a different view and, uh, and opinion of Jesus than what we had. Now, when you begin to realize that the value that God has placed on you, do you know that you're, each one of you, do you feel valuable to Him today? Do you feel loved? You really feel loved by God? That's a, that's a question only you can answer. Some people tie that acceptance or that love that they have that God has for them, they tie it to things that He's done for them. A lot of people in, in, in marriage relationships do that. Not understanding what love is, they'll tie it to what that individual can do for them. What they can give. You know, if they make them, uh, please them for the things that they want. Now, it's, it's very important that the one that we love, we make them feel loved. We have to decide and ask, usually, what, what does it take to make Teru feel loved from me? What, what does it take? And it's up to me to find that out. Now, I may need to teach her that she needs to realize and rely, rather, on God for that love and acceptance rather than me. Because I, it's impossible for me to love her the way that God loves her. But it still doesn't relieve me of the responsibility of those little things that she likes for me to do. Like not walk through the house with stickers on my shoes and leave them in the carpet, you know. It makes her feel loved when I take my shoes off in the, in the laundry room before I come in the house. But like I am, I forget it a lot of the times. And she walks around barefooted all the time, so I don't. When I cut my foot nearly off when I was five years old, I, I, I start wearing shoes all the time. So my point is that we need to, the people that we're in relationship with, we have to find out what it is makes them feel loved and what, what you do that makes them not feel loved. I mean, sometimes, I, I mean, I carry stuff on my mind all the time. I mean, several subjects. I'm, I'm thinking about you guys. I'm thinking about the Word. I'm thinking about what God wants to do here. I'm thinking about how to get the church to grow. Uh, and, and I have all this going on. I'll come over here and spend several hours and then go over there and she'll say something to me and I'll, I'll just say it in the wrong, I'll answer in the wrong way. And that wrong way doesn't make her feel loved, see. So I've asked her to tell me, just flat, just flat with me, well, that doesn't make me feel too loved. And so I'll repent right there. I don't ever mean to. You know, it's not my intention to offend my wife or you or anybody else. It's not, you know, that's just not the way I am. I do at times, but it's not on purpose. Does that, I guess that doesn't make it right, though, does it? So, the value that God has for us and your perception of it is the determining factor for biblical self-worth. I mean, we even have preachers getting up preaching against using words like that in the pulpit, self-worth. Well, if you don't have worth for yourself, you're not going to have worth for anybody else. But the thing is, where, where the people miss it is they try to get their worth based on their performance, 
based on how well they perform certain uh, duties or responsibilities. And then they can feel good about themselves. And, and, you know, more power to them. But the fact remains that, that if we get our value and our worth uh, from, from what we do, then the Word of God is out of the picture. See? I don't care what you do. Your Heavenly Father will not reject you. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let's, let's talk about leaving you to be an orphan. He said, I'm not going to leave you orphanless. And that's what He did when He sent the Holy Spirit, didn't He? He said, I'll send you another comforter. One just like me. I'm going to send Him to you. So, so we have that. But we have to realize that our self-worth comes from His acceptance. His love. You know, to, to get biblical self-worth. Not just self-worth based on... I mean, you can go to Amway meetings and perform and get self-worth. But it's not going to hold up, see? Jesus said it this way. And I know, I, I say that I'm a repeater rifle a lot of times. But Jesus said, If the light which be in you be darkness, how gray is that darkness? Say, how can a light be dark? Well, don't you know the devil transforms himself into an angel of light, which the word angel is angelos, means messenger, a messenger of light. He'll come, he, he doesn't come like a big, you know, ugly guy with horns and a red suit and a long tail. I mean, that's not the way he comes. He comes deceptively. On Wednesday nights, we're teaching about him and how to overcome his strategy. But it's very, very important that you understand that, that Satan's got more sense than to come and make you know that he's Satan. See? So he'll come through a friend If I get into this, Lord, it'll take too long. Sometime this week, I want you to get your Bible out. And I want you to look at Genesis chapter 2. Chapter 1, chapter 2. Chapter 3. We're going to be sharing this on Wednesday night, but I just felt quickened to share this with you. I want you to notice there that God said that the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. That meant deceptively so. More subtle. This, this, uh, this beast, this serpent, they say used to walk on feet, on you know, hands and feet. I don't know. But the thing that I want you to notice about that passage, I hope it will spark enough interest in you where you go look at this. Not one time when God addressed the devil, he addressed the serpent. He didn't address the devil. He addressed the serpent. It said the serpent beguiled Eve, not the devil. But you see, the devil used that individual the same way he does with people here. The devil can be behind what somebody says to you. It's up to you whether you receive it or not. That tree that he, did, that he wanted her to eat of was all about choice. God can't take choice away from you. And that tree was there. Satan knew it. Satan knew he had. When he was Lucifer, he had the choice to either obey God or not. Did you know the devil can't keep you from obeying the Lord? But I want you to notice that, and that we'll get more in depth on our Wednesday night, on our, on our Wednesday night teachings about that. But, but notice that it was the serpent that he used. <laughs> the funny thing about it is now all he is is a stick with a mouth, <laughs> or a tail, a tail with a mouth. <laughs> but that mouth, it, it, those things are sly. You know, up home we used to uh, see snakes that would be laying in the in the cool and. And they would have their mouths wide open. They, they tell me now, I'm not a, a professional on this, but they tell me that that snake can mesmerize a bird to the point where it hops down closer and closer and will actually hop in the snake's mouth and he closes it and eats it. Now that's deception. No bird alive would want to be, get eaten. None of us want to give in to the devil. But he's so sly. He comes in ways. 
He, especially when he knew that Eve had a deficit of understanding about the tree. When he discovered that she had ignorance, he capitalized on that. And that's what I want to convey to all of us today. Is that without the word, without a good foundation of his word, we're easy prey to our enemy. We must stay in the Word. We must stay. We must meditate it day and night. We must keep it before our eyes. We, we can't allow things to keep us out of the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Is this pastoral? <laughs> I mean, I like those hoop and holler messages, but I mean, this is just right where the rubber meets the road, so to speak, in my opinion. Now, let's go to Second uh, Corinthians I'm going to look over here in this little candle. I've got some notes here. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. Now notice this. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, the old English word means to know, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So see, our message should be, God is not holding your sins against you anymore. That's what reconciliation means, to reconnect. We, our job is to reconnect people to God. The price has been paid. Jesus paid for every sin. Why would God hold your sin against you? Jesus paid for it. So what he does, it comes down to a decision. You don't go to heaven because you're good, and you don't go to hell because you're bad. You go there because of who you are, your identity. See, if you are born again, you're going to heaven. You may not walk like it, you may not talk like it, you may not act like it, but if you're born again, you're going to heaven. The problem is that the enemy knows that if he can lure you away through your ignorance of the Word of God and get you involved in behavior, you can get so far away that you can make a choice to leave Jesus. That's, that's, where the, that, 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 you know, that's the crux of the situation. We're responsible for that. Think about that. Let's look at John chapter 17 and verse 17. This is the prayer. The 17th chapter of John is the prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples. And then in there he said, I pray not for these alone, but also whoever believe on me through them. So which means we get in on the prayer he prayed. He said, Father, sanctify them through thy truth Thy word is truth. Now what does the word sanctify mean? Sanctify means, let's put it this way, to procure. If you were, if you were a, a store owner and you went to one of your uh, suppliers, you wanted to buy some groceries, you would, you would have a procurement uh, sheet that you would fill out. You would procure, that meant in, in this world that you sanctified that food for your possession. It means to procure, but it means to, to sanctify. It means to make holy. It means to make pure. It means to make special. Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So let's establish that. The only way that you're going to be valuable in the kingdom of God to human beings is through the word of God. That's all we have. We have no business teaching and preaching anything else but the Word. Not man's opinions, not my opinions, no, the Word of God. Why is my mouth so dry today? So now, get that down, let's go to John 15, verses 2 and 3. John 15, 2 and 3. Notice this, Jesus said, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit... He takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, He purges it 
that it may bring forth more fruit. The word purge here is the word prune. It's also translated in the next verse, cleanse. So that means to, to prune away the useless sprouts in your life. I wonder, does anybody have any? Let me hold up all my, both hands. If I can hold my feet up. All the use, useless sprigs or shoots, I think they call it in a vine. All the useless shoots in your life, he cuts it off. He prunes it. He purges it. He cleanses you from that. Now this cleansing process, you are in charge of. Jesus said, if you abide in me, which word, which abide means to live in. If you adhere to, if you are uh, baptized in, if you are just immersed in me, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you will and you have whatever you, whatever you ask. See? So it's important that these useless sprouts that's in our life that does nothing but hinder the flow of the Spirit of God, He clips off if we allow Him to. You can keep them if you want them. But all these things, think of that. Anything in your life right now that may hinder you from walking in His greatness, in His power, in His love, any of those things. Uh, let's, take, let's take the walk of love, for example. You know, walking in love toward people is the most important thing that you can do. And if you have a problem walking in love with people, I'm telling you, that sprig, that shoot, that sprout is going to hinder God flowing through you. So you offer it to Him. Now let me say to you, I know this firsthand, my God. The purging process is never comfortable. But, but, but thank God for it, because it's for your benefit. Amen? Now Jesus bought everybody in the world, didn't He? That's why he said every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He bought everybody, but everybody's not going to be saved. But now, but now look at this next verse. He says, now you are clean through what? The word which I have spoken unto you. The word clean is the same word purge. Katharo, I think it is. Katharo which we get our word catheter from. A catheter purges off or, or, or prunes off poison out of your body. Go to cath and so that's what the word does. So enjoy your growth process. It may not be comfortable, but it's going to be productive. Thank you, Jesus, for this. Jesus said, well, John said in, in 1 John 1, uh, verse 9, he said that if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, that's what the, the purging process does. He's just cleansing you from unrighteousness. You are righteous as an identity, but what he's referring to is the unrighteous things that you may be doing, see? Like walking in unforgiveness, like, you know, holding grudges. You know, any, just, just pick. We've all got those little shoots on us. Romans 1.11. Well, let's look at uh, 2 Timothy 2.21 first. You'll have to read this in context yourself. He's talking about all the bad things of the flesh. In, ver in, in verse 21 of 2 Timothy 2. If a man therefore purge himself. See, now we're talking about some personal responsibility. If a man purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Romans 1.11 For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. Now what that little boy did for me a while ago, he imparted a spiritual gift to me. The word spiritual is the Greek word pneumatikos, which means something that is by the Spirit of God. Pneumatikos was never used until the day of Pentecost. Never used in, in, in the Bible before then. And that meant when the Holy Spirit came, He gave gifts unto men. And these gifts we can impart to people. And that's what Paul was saying here to the Roman church. That I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. To what end? That you may be 
established. Established. So see, precious church people, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are given to us to profit with all, the Bible says. They are given to us. The word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, the gift of the discerning of spirits, the gift of faith, the, word of, uh, the, the working of miracles, the gifts of healings, tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy. They're given to all of us. But it is to establish us. The fruit of the Spirit is given to uh, help us grow. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, temperance, faith. Uh, all, all, the nine fruit of the Spirit is for growth. But the, but the nine gifts of the Spirit is to help us change. Become more like Him. It's for direction. These are for direction. I mean, how, how wonderful will it be if you were starting to minister to somebody and they had some real problems, maybe some they didn't even know about, and as you were standing there, all of a sudden he downloaded the gift of uh, uh, the discerning of spirits to you or the word of knowledge and told you exactly what was wrong with that person. You know what happened? You could go walk right in that door. See, I pray for a door of utterance in people's lives. And I look for that. If I don't see it, I don't say anything. I mean, I may just say, you know, skin surface things. You know, not, not, not saying I'm not going to talk to them. I'm, I'm just saying I'm not going to minister to them. Because that door's closed. If you try to force that open, you drive them away. So I look for that door of utterance. I pray for that door of utterance. I pray for that door of utterance into you all's lives. All the time. But when I get a door of utterance to speak into somebody's life, behind that comes a door of ministry. And that's open. And you can minister it to them. I violated that many times in my life because I, my heart was so much wanting that person to receive so much wanting that person to be free. And I, I let my flesh get in the way. We, we can't allow ourselves to get that way. Read the little story about uh, when Jesus went and raised Lazarus from the dead. The dynamics that led up to that is a key for success in ministry. Now, Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary, they were best friends with Jesus. Uh, what, what is this? John 4, 5, something like that. Anyway, they were best friends with Jesus. And so Lazarus became sick. So they sent a runner to tell Jesus that his friend, that he, he said, he whom thou lovest is sick. And that little word sick there, it's a value for word studies. That little word sick there meant sinking. In other words, he's dying. He whom thou lovest is dying, right, and as we speak. Because it took him, uh, I believe it took him four days to run there to tell Jesus. It may, it may be a little less than two, a couple of days. Let's just say a couple of days. So it, it was two days for him to run there. He told Jesus, expecting Jesus to just pop right up and follow him back to help Lazarus. Because everybody knew, all of his friends, everybody knew Jesus can heal him. You know, I mean, if, if I was Jesus in the flesh and you came to tell me that your friend was sick and is dying right now, it's because you knew I could go healing. So that's the dynamic of that. But what did Jesus do? He stayed there two more days. He didn't follow him back. So Jesus then, they went back, got there, and Mary said to him, uh, or maybe it was Martha, I get those two confused all the time. She said, it's too late. He's, ar he's already dead. He's been dead four days. And it says there, he stinketh. If you've been dead four days in a tomb in Jerusalem, you'd be stinking. And Jesus turned to her and said, Did I not say unto thee that I am the resurrection and the life? I mean, he ripped her a new one. Put her in her place. 
I have a friend that I'm hoping to get to come here someday, Tom Kashin. He lives in uh, uh, somewhere in North Carolina. Jesus supernaturally took him in a vision and set him on that hillside to watch this. He told me all about it. He said, Jerry, he said, it was just unbelievable. He said, I was standing there just as an observer. He said, you had the mourners over there. They were all crying. Had people different spots around the hillside looking at that tomb. And that's when Jesus, he said, when she said that to him, he said, Jesus turned around and looked at her and said, have I not said unto thee that I am the resurrection and the life? In other words, it can't be too late for me. And he said, Jerry, when, when Jesus looked up to the Father and said, I thank thee that thou hearest me. And he looked and said, he looked at the tomb. I wish Tom was here to tell this. It's so supernatural. Uh, act like you don't know it when he comes, okay? <laughs> he said, when he said, Lazarus, come forth. He said, Jerry, he came out of that tomb six inches above the ground in an upright position, floated out. And then Jesus looked at him, said, Lucy, let him go. Tom kind of had some fun with it. He said, you know, Lazarus didn't say, I can't, I'm dead, I'm stinking. <laughs> he did what he said. So see, that's what I use that, make the fashion into your memory for a door of utterance. Now I learned through studying why Jesus waited two days. And it's there in the scriptures. It's because they that hated him were lying in wait, waiting for Jesus to come so that they could capture him and destroy him. Jesus knew this by the Spirit of God and said, just be still. Just stay here. Amen? The value of walking in the Spirit, listening to him, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, the word of wisdom is always about future. The word of knowledge is about present and past. But just think how valuable that is. Well, precious church people, we all have been given these things. Now, it seems to me, now I've not been around here. I'd like to maybe talk with, with Brother Lester and Brother Cleo and those of you that's been here so long. I mean, I found some records where you guys joined the church and were baptized one in 1964. Wasn't it? So, so I know your story. But, you know, it seems, and, don't, and don't, don't be offended at this, because I understand how denominational things are, but it seems to us that there's never really been an awesome move of God in this place, on this property, like there has been other places. See, when there's not a, a supernatural manifestation of His power and glory, it's easy to get into lethargy and complacency and just accept status quo. We're just going to church. We're going to give our offerings. We're going to sing three songs, a holy hush, an offering, and go home. It's easy to fall into that, but if you really want the power of God manifested in this place, in this community, in this county, in this state, it's going to take all of us together seeking God with all of our heart. Letting Him cut off all those little things that's in our lives that hinders us. That's what it's going to take. If not, if we don't do that, it'll never happen. I'm sorry, but that's just the way it is. Amen? Or oh me. All right. We must build in our conscience a righteousness conscience. See, sanctification basically is when the Word of God becomes illuminated to you and you cut off the dead branches. That's basically what the, the, the dynamic of that. Most people don't believe that changing their view of God will change their lives out of their behavior or whatever. Most people don't believe that. If they did, they'd, they'd start searching. God, I want to know you. You know, the greatest thing for me, Jan Butler, a friend of mine up in uh, Tacoma, Washington, it must have been probably six months ago, I was, I was calling. He's the one that, the regional director that I had to have a recommendation to get my ordination reinstated. And he was talking to me, he, and, and he had, I'd given him a CD to listen to, and, 
And he was again talking to me about how wonderful my teaching was and that I really had a gift of God. And, and, and he knew something by the Spirit about me that I had not told him. He said, Jerry, he said, the greatest thing that you can do is know the Father. And it's true. All the years that I've spent studying and meditating and, and praying and seeking God means more to him than what I'm doing right now. See, it, it mean, it, for, for you to know him is his greatest desire for you, to know him. That's why Jesus came to show us the Father. The Holy Spirit came to show us Jesus, and Jesus shows us the Father. So we need to realize that, you know, the dynamics of this, and I, and I don't really... I don't really like bringing psychology into these, but let's, let's face it, we've got a brain that we have to deal with, a mind. And, and I'm not a psychologist. I've done a lot of studying and courses and all that stuff about it, but still. Uh, your self-esteem, how, how you view yourself, is your immune system of the conscience. It's your immune system. When you have a strong immune system of self-worth coming from God, then no person can offend you. I'm not there yet myself. Because there are some that still can. But, but when, when we have a strong immune system about that, we can take all manner of things that people say against us and it won't hurt us. We choose to walk in His love and forgive them and release that right back out of our life. If you hold to it, it's destructive. That's sowing to the flesh. We may get into that a little bit next week, what sowing to the Spirit really is. But appreciating, appreciating one's own worthiness and importance and having the character to be accountable for myself and act responsibly toward others is what a strong self-worth from God will, will give us. Amen? Self-esteem, it just means, it, it means worth. Value. So do you value yourself? If you don't, get to know Him. And He will show you how valuable and precious that you really are to Him. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up together.